Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, thank you that not only do you not change, you are the same. All of us gathered today have the same story. We are all in need of you. No matter what our background, no matter what we've gone through, God, we're all in the same situation because none of us, God, has what it takes to be able to experience life the way you meant for us to experience it, which is why you sent your son, Jesus, to redeem, to save us, not just from a future reality of a separation with you, but a current one. And then through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God, you have given us your spirit to apply to us everything that Jesus accomplished for us. And so, God, we want to take advantage of all that you are for us in Christ. And so, God, I pray today that you would help us to do that. You would help me to take advantage of the person and power of the Holy Spirit to preach this message in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. And then you would help all of us, God, to hear it, to have our eyes opened, our ears open, to see and to hear, to know this truth, and then God, live in light of it. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. If you got a Bible, we're in John 16, but um, you know we've just been preaching through the gospel according to John, and what we had planned for today was to get into the next set of scriptures, uh, starting in verse 16, to kind of pick up from where we left off last week. But last week, I talked about our advantage, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, and I talked about how Jesus said it was actually better for us that he went away because it, it gave us this advantage. And, and wouldn't you know, on a message about the Holy Spirit, I, I felt this week as I wrestled through this text that, that the Holy Spirit wasn't done with us in that message. And so just like in Galatians chapter five, it says to keep in step with the spirit, which we talked about several weeks ago. It's a dance, right? It's a rhythm. It's a groove with God. And so we're actually not going to move forward into the text we had planned. We're going to go back into the text that we looked at last week because I just don't feel like God is done with us yet in this text. And so this is my attempt and, and really our attempt as a church to keep in step with the spirit and, and to listen to what he is saying to us because I really wanted us to understand. In fact, after looking back at the message last week, I wish I would have broken it up into two. Um, you know, just dealt with part of it last week and then part of it this week. But, you know, I'm ambitious. I like to, you know, take it on. And so I tried to do the whole thing. And then afterwards, if you listen to our Grow People podcast, we actually talked about this on the podcast this week, that I just didn't feel like God was done with us in this text. I was just wrestling, saying, I don't think God, you know, wants us to move on just yet. I, I want to go back and, and, and really wrestle with this and, and really help people, really that's my goal, is to help you experience, and, and really the message title today is take advantage, because I want all of us to take advantage of our advantage. You know, last week I talked about our advantage, and this week is about taking advantage of our advantage. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let's jump in. John chapter 16, 
verse seven. This was one of the key verses that we looked at last week that we're reading again. Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The argument I made last week is I don't think a lot of times we actually really believe what Jesus is saying here. Because if we had an option of, well, Jesus walking here on the earth in the flesh versus what we have now, which is Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit is in us now. If we said, if you had rather have Jesus next to you, the Holy Spirit in you, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we'd say, I'd rather have Jesus here. I'd rather be able to see him, touch him, talk to him. But Jesus actually says it's better what we have now. He actually says it's an advantage. And I don't know what your profession is, but a lot of times different professions are always looking for an advantage, an advantage to maximize. I remember playing football and, and studying our opponents and always watching game film, trying to find their weaknesses and maximize our strengths. And so if you're in the coaching profession, you understand you watch all kinds of game film because you're always looking for an advantage. And those of us who have teams that we cheer for, right, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday or Thursday or Monday now, I mean, let's, just, let's just make it every night of the week, right? Like, it, we, all, we want our, our teams, we want our coaches to do the work, to put in the time, to maximize advantages. And there have been teams that have been busted for maximizing advantages too much, right? Spygate, Deflategate, whatever the Astros did with, you know, banging symbols and doing signs and trying to, right? They're maximizing it to a point to where they're actually cheating. But I gave you a, a, a metaphorical picture last week of this idea of an advantage when I was thinking about this message back to an old gamer analogy that we call cheat codes, and if you were here, I talked about the ultimate cheat code that was ever built in to a game that was popularized by the game Contra, which if you're, you know, my generation, you know about this, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start, right? When you put that into a remote, you got an advantage. You went from three lives to 30 lives. But here's what was so amazing to me. Even though we call it a cheat code, it's not cheating because it's built in. In fact, let me give you a broader definition of this idea of cheat code. In the gaming world, used to refer to entering in a sequence of inputs, either buttons from a controller or characters from a keyboard, used to change the way your games are played. Now listen to this, cheat codes are created by the developer and put in the game intentionally. This idea originated from game testers to be able to easily skip levels, heal their character, gain an item to effectively test the game. The term cheat code is now commonly used for anything to help a player with their game. Cheat codes can now be actual codes typed in to unlock a feature of the game or a hint like a location of a hidden item players want to find. It can be a strategy to perform a function in the game as well. And then I gave you the Urban Dictionary definition of the word cheat code, which meant unfairly awesome. Something that's unfairly awesome. But I want to give you the expanded part of that as well. Listen to this. This is not talking about a video game. This is talking about life. 
It's an act or an object so ridiculous that a higher power must have programmed it into the game of life. An act or an object that's so ridiculous that a higher power must have programmed it in to the game of life. Here's what I want us to understand. Jesus programmed in to our lives the greatest, most ridiculous advantage that now makes it unfairly awesome for us as we follow him. Let me give you this definition of an advantage. I have this here on the screen. Hopefully this will better help you. An advantage is something that puts you, listen to this, in a better position than other people. An advantage is something that puts you in a better position than other people. Now, not in a weird competitive sense, like we're trying to just beat other people in the game of life. But I want us to think about it like this. As Christians, and and the term Christian comes from those who follow Christ, comes out of the book of Acts. As Christians, Jesus built in an unfairly awesome advantage for us, watch this, to put us in a better position than other people who don't have Christ. So let me ask this question. Why aren't Christians in a better position then? If we have the advantage, if we have a built-in advantage, and our built-in advantage is a person, we'll get more on that in a second, the person of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls the helper. We talked about that weeks ago as well. The human helper, like hamburger helper. The one who is here to help hamburgers, even though hamburgers don't need help. But they did when everything was so crazy in inflation. I wonder if hamburger helpers come back now. Because your boy needs some help, right? We have a helper. We have a built-in advantage. Someone to help us walk with God, to put us in a better position than other people. Maybe the reason why Christians are not in a better position is because we're not taking advantage of our advantage. We're not taking advantage of our advantage. And I think one of the reasons maybe why we're not taking advantage of our advantage is because we've accepted some other things. In addition to what Jesus told us that has watered down the truth of our advantage. In fact, if you want to turn there, you can turn to Galatians chapter five. I referenced this verse last week, but since I figure we're doing a second week on the same text, I'll go ahead and show it to you this week. Galatians chapter five, I'm going to be in verses two through Nine, and I'm going to read these because I want to show you how remarkably consistent your Bible is. I don't ever want to say something to you and you just think that it's Pastor Jason's opinion. I always want to show you where I got my opinion from, which is from the Bible. 
I want to show you how I arrived at the conclusions that I arrived at. And when you read your Bible like this, it's amazing how remarkably consistent it is. This is a different writer writing to a different group of people, but listen to how similar it is to what Jesus said to his disciples. The apostle Paul said this to the Galatians, chapter five, verse two. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no, what's that next word there? Advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse four, you are severed, cut off from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He said, I tell you these things to keep you from falling away. You guys are smart, all right? From grace, verse five, for through the what? Spirit, the helper, sounds a lot like Jesus. By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, let me break this down for you. Paul was talking to a primarily Jewish audience, which is why he said, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What you had to understand that the Christians in the first century primarily, initially, were Jewish. They were Jewish believers who had believed that Christ was the Jewish Messiah. And so therefore, Christianity comes out of, or, or better yet, is a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, which we would just now call Old Testament. Now, categorically, people consider Christianity a different religion than Jewish. But here's what we need to understand from a proper biblical perspective. It's not that it's a different religion. It's just a fulfillment of. But, but primarily, Jewish people don't believe that. They don't believe that Jesus is the fulfillment. They're still looking for their Messiah. And so what you had in the first century was you had a lot of people who were culturally Jewish. They had a cultural belief system. And then they hear about Jesus, who was Jewish, 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 whatever that is, all right? He is the Jewish Messiah, so they believed in him. So they trusted Christ. But watch this. But they were still living in an environment with primarily Jewish people who believed that you had to obey the law in order to be acceptable or justified before God. So you had all these people who believe this system, then Jesus comes along and says, no, you don't have to believe that system because he completed and fulfilled that system. He's what you've been looking for. If you trust in him, now you're not having to earn your way to God. But what was happening is they were starting to fall back into their old habits. They were starting to fall back into their old belief systems. They were starting to fall back into, watch this, what was culturally relevant in their time. Now I'm gonna go out on a limb here and just guess that the vast majority of you are not relying on circumcision to save you. Is that a pretty true statement? Okay. And, and the reason being is because we're primarily a Gentile audience. And Gentile, just categorically, biblically speaking, is someone who was not Jewish. 
But amazingly, the whole argument of Galatians is even though Jewish people were direct descendants of the line of Abraham, that Abraham's blessing or descendant wasn't actually that physical flesh and blood person, but it was Jesus, which was bringing all families into the family of God. So that's why we can sing now, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you, even though you're not, but now you are because of Christ, right? So where I'm going with this is the temptation for Gentile believers is not to accept an Old Testament law primarily as your means to being made right with God. Nor is it the predominant cultural conversation that we're having in 21st century. We're not seeing political debates about that one. But we are seeing political debates about all kinds of other things. So let me say it like this. You don't just have, you don't just have to accept circumcision in order for Christ to be of no advantage to you. There's all kinds of other things you can accept too. You can accept the prevailing worldly wisdom of today as true. And if you accept that, Christ will be of no advantage to you either. So let me give you this point. In fact, I want you to think about this. I have it here on the screen. If you accept blank, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept, you fill in the blank. I don't know what that is for you. But again, the temptation would be to read Galatians 5 and be like, okay, if you accept circumcision, check. I don't accept that one. I'm all good. And you miss how to personalize the Bible as you read it. As I was thinking about this, I thought about it this way. You know, we accept things as true because we want to be acceptable to other people. We want to be acceptable. We want to be accepted. Psychologists have done studies and have found that the most painful or traumatic event that we can experience as human beings is not death or grieving someone that has died because we've accepted that that happens. But the most painful form of human pain or trauma that we can experience is betrayal. It's betrayal. It's when someone who is supposed to love us doesn't or turns their back on us or betrays us. So if in your heart, your greatest fear is someone betraying you or turning their back on you, then what your human heart will do will try to do everything that you can to be acceptable to people so that therefore you're accepted. Because no one likes to walk into a room and be hated, which is why we're obsessed when we walk into the room with who's looking at us. The cheat code to that is they're not worried about what you think or what they think of you. They're worried about what you think of them. So when, when, when you think, oh, they're gonna think I'm stupid. No, they're just wondering if you think they're stupid. 
So don't worry about it. But watch this. I'm afraid that in the church today, we have a lot of people that have taken on the title Christian that have accepted some things in order to be acceptable in the world, which has then rendered Christ as no advantage to them. So we have a lot of, watch this, Christians who claim to follow Christ, but only until the point that it doesn't cause them to lose acceptability with others. And so one of the reasons, remember the context for this, one of the reasons why I think Christians who have the advantage, who have the Holy Spirit, are not in a better position than those who don't know Christ is because you have Christians who have accepted something else as true, which has made Christ of no advantage to them, And so therefore, even though they take the title of Christian, they're no different than non-Christians because they've accepted everything is true that non-Christians have accepted. That's why they're not in a better position. And sadly, almost any statistical study that looks at the lives of Christians versus the lives of non-Christians in terms of like, do you live together before you're married? premarital sex, divorce, almost any social issue you want to study, the statistics are the same among Christians and non-Christians. And so the world looks at that and says, well, if you have Christ, shouldn't you be in a better position? And and this is the hardest part about pastoring. I've said this many, many times. We have to pastor people, which is shepherding people into the truth. And so we do pastoral care. We help people. We do premarital counseling, all those kinds of things. But again, I can't tell you how many times, whether it's in premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, uh, whatever. I mean, whatever type of uh, pastoral care that we do, the stories that we hear are the exact same that someone who doesn't follow Christ and a counselor that isn't Christian probably hears because there's no distinct difference. Let me say it like this. People who claim to follow Christ have accepted things that Christ says is unacceptable. And if we accept things that Christ says is unacceptable. Listen, is it any wonder that we're not experiencing the advantage that comes with Christ? Look at what Paul says, and he continues in Galatians chapter five, verse seven through nine. I added these verses in. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him Who calls you? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I'm not a baker, but I like to eat things that bakers make. (laughs) That's right. And I'm aware enough of how bread is made. 
And, and someone who knows how to make homemade bread, which it's kind of making a renaissance again, which is awesome. You understand the idea of yeast and how it affects the whole thing. It's interesting that Paul, I think picking up on what Jesus says in John 16 verses one through four, when Jesus said, I'm telling you these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus is simply on the front end trying to prevent it. And Paul's on the back end looking after it's already happened. And he's trying to diagnose why. Why did you fall away? And here's why. Well, I just accepted a little bit of yeast. I just accepted a little bit of the world's definition of success. I just accepted a little bit of the world's definition of marriage. I just accepted a little bit of the world's definition of whatever gender ideology. I just accepted a little bit of the world's version of truth. And then Paul says, that persuasion is not from him who calls you. Let me ask you a question. Are you so in Christ that you could recognize a persuasion that's not from him? Are you so in tune with his word that you could recognize a voice that's not his? Jesus says his sheep know his voice. See, the temptation of every Christian in every generation is what's called syncretism, which is where we bring things together. Syncretism means I take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the world, a little bit of new age, a little bit of this, and I put it all together, and it's my truth. And what's interesting is what Jesus says. Let's go back to John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the what? Truth. So watch this. If a spirit is guiding you into a truth that Jesus says is not truth, it's not the Holy Spirit who's guiding you. It's a persuasion that's not from him. And so therefore, you've accepted something that has rendered, watch, Christ of no advantage to you. You've fallen away. And the reason why I'm saying this message to you, because ironically, Galatians chapter five, if you go back and read verse one, Galatians 5, one was one of the very first verses I memorized. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Now, way back in John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said this. If you abide in my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Anybody know? Free. And here's Paul in Galatians chapter five saying, you're not free anymore. And the reason why you're not free anymore is because you've accepted something that's not true. You see how these are so remarkably similar? And all I'm saying to you is, your pastor today is this. My heart is burdened and broken for the people in our church that are not experiencing freedom. 
And the reason why you're not experiencing freedom is because you've accepted something else that's not true. And the reason why you've accepted something else that's not true is because you haven't taken advantage of the one that is here to help you into the truth. And why is he here to help you into the truth? Not because he's a cosmic killjoy. We'll get into this next week. But because he wants you to be free. He wants you to experience everything in life. He wants you to have an unfairly awesome life. What, that puts you in a better position than other people. He wants you to experience the fullness for which Jesus created you. The joy, and we'll talk about that next week. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the Bible says. Well, if you experience weakness, it's because you've let someone steal your joy. And if someone's stolen your joy, it's because you've accepted something else that is true that is not true, and therefore you are enslaved. And this is what's so amazing. The world promises freedom, but they're liars. And it only leads you to more enslavement. Satan doesn't love you. The world doesn't love you. And anyone who tells you to just go with what you feel doesn't love you. And they are promising you something that only Jesus can give you. And so therefore, you're not experiencing a better position because you haven't taken advantage of the Holy Spirit who leads you and guides you into all truth. Last verse, look at this. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, we live in the age now of the Holy Spirit. We live in this, what you could call the golden age. You understand that there are parts in the Bible that say things like this. You experience now what the prophets longed for. Things to which angels are jealous about. You and I now, because of Christ, through the means of the Spirit, that's what he says, through the Spirit, by faith, now have access to the advantage that puts us in a better position. Why? Because that word advantage I told you last week is a verb. And the word advantage in John chapter 16 means, it's simphero, it means to bring together with. The, the word sim is with, and then Pharaoh means to bear. So when Jesus says you can't bear this now because you don't have the spirit, but when you have the spirit, he'll help you because he'll bear with you. See, here's our greatest problem. You want to know why you and I run away from the truth? Let me give you one of the greatest movie lines of all time. Because you can't handle the truth. That's why. The reason why the world runs away from truth is because they can't handle it. And I can't either. Because here's the truth. I'm a sinner. And everything that I do, even the good things that I try to do, don't make me acceptable before God. Things like circumcision. Things like whatever the law says. 
Things like whatever the world says. See, we live in this weird culture that if you're just a good person, you drive a Prius and you vote a certain way, you're acceptable. But that's not what makes you acceptable before God. The only thing that makes you acceptable before God is believing in the one who was acceptable and walking in his truth, which is the truth because he is truth. See, church, let me leave you this last point. My heart's desire for us is to take advantage of your advantage. Take advantage of your advantage. And I've been pastoring long enough to know there are tons of people in these rooms and watching online that have accepted things that are not true. And therefore, Christ has no advantage to you. See, there's some of you here today that have accepted, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I mean, again, I, I do have solar panels. <laughs> and I, I am vegan or vegetarian. I'm not saying either of those things are bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I'm saying is, those don't make you good. Well, you know, I'm not that bad. I grew up in church. L let me just say, if you have a category in your mind of those people and you're not in it, that's who I'm talking about. But then there's another group of people that think, I'm too bad. I'm too bad. There's no way that God could love me. And to that one, the gospel answers just like it does to the other one. See, the first one says, I'm not that bad, says, by whose standards? You're a sinner. But to the second one says, I'm too bad, but Christ is able to cover your sin. And then there's another group of people that would say not that I'm not that bad or, or I'm too bad that says this, well, that is not that bad. And the that that's not that bad is something that the Bible calls sin, but the world says is acceptable because you know, you're, you're born that way. Or we don't believe that anymore. So it's either I'm not that bad or I'm too bad or it's not that bad. To which the gospel speaks to that too. And says it's not that bad by whose standards? Church, if we want to experience a move of God, it's not gonna happen in a voting booth. It's gonna happen 
at the altar when the church of God repents and says, it is bad and I am bad, but Christ is good. It happens when the church of God starts to take seriously once again who Jesus is and takes advantage of our advantage. I told you just a few weeks ago in the late 1600s in this country, churches were walking away from truth. And we're surprised that it's happening again. And then the first great awakening came out of churches in this country who had fallen away, who looked back and said, we need to repent. And so we're going to wrap up the message today. And this is why I just felt like God wanted us to go back over these texts again. It's because I know there are people in these rooms and watching that aren't taking advantage of your advantage because some other spirit has led you down some other path and you've accepted some things that have rendered Christ of no advantage to you. Let me say it to you like this. You're asking God to bless what he calls an abomination. This is like when we have conversations with people that say, well, if you're a Christian, it's okay to do this. According to who? It's like when I have conversations with people that say, I can't afford not to tithe. I, I can't afford to tithe. I would say to you, according to who? You can't afford not to. That's like saying, I can't afford to trust God. You trust God and take a nap. You trust God. You accept his truth as acceptable. And then you let the chips fall where they may, and you will be in a better position. Because the advantage... Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. That the truth, Jesus Christ, told us the truth. That the spirit is our built-in advantage. The Spirit is what makes life unfairly awesome because He guides us into truth. We can't handle the truth. And God, I pray right now that you would convict us of the areas in our life that are outside the truth. We've accepted some things because we wanted to be acceptable. but we cared more about being accepted by the world than we did about being accepted by you. We want to repent of that. No one looking around or talking here in both of our locations, Jasper Ann and Canton. I'm going to have our prayer team come down front. So prayer team, you can go ahead and move both locations. And we're just going to give you a moment. If there's some areas in your life where you've accepted some things as true that are contrary to the truth of God, then today you can repent. 
And I know this is gonna feel a little bit different than a normal gathering, but that's good because it's already different. We went back over the same verses again. We're trying to keep in step with the Spirit. So if you wanna come down front and either kneel at the front of the stage or come and talk to a prayer team person and just say, I've accepted some things as true. Would you pray for me? So if you wanna do that, you can get up and move now. Right there where you're sitting, if you want to, if you can get down on a knee as a sign of submission and say to Father, the Father, I'm sorry for the things that I've accepted is true. Would you guide me into truth? Or just right there where you are, if you want to pray. Because the Spirit is leading you. If he's bringing some things to your mind right now, then that's him guiding you. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, but now you've been made aware and you want to trust Christ, then right there where you are, you don't have to pray this out loud. Just, Father, save me. I'm a sinner. I need Christ. Forgive me. What is that for you? If you claim to know Christ, but you are walking in a way that's contrary to him, the worst thing that you could do is try to go find some author that tries to make something that God calls unacceptable, acceptable. Maybe you haven't loved and served your spouse the way you should have. Maybe you're walking contrary to Christ in the area of sexuality. And it's okay to be confused, but it's not okay to be confused about what is true. Maybe in another area of your life. Maybe it's just simply success. You've accepted the world's definition of success. And it has rendered Christ as no advantage to you. Father, thank you for the Spirit who's guiding us into truth. 
God, may we believe that you're guiding us into truth because you want us to be free. You want us to be free of all of our guilt and shame. You want us to be free, to be full of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. So if we lack those things, it's because we're not taking advantage of our advantage. God, I know in my own life, there's so many times when I try to operate in my own strength, instead of operating with the Spirit, some Pharaoh, I try to be my own Pharaoh, my own Lord. But Paul clearly says in Corinthians, when we are weak, then we are strong. So God, we're weak. Would you help us through your spirit, by faith, help us to accept the truth because we can't handle it. Help us to accept the truth that yes, we are so bad that Christ had to die, but we are so loved that he chose to die. And he wants freedom for us so much that he sent us the spirit to help us. So would you guide us into truth now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.